This is the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. And the season of Epiphany is a season coming from the Greek word epiphanos, light upon. It's the season when we focus on God's light going out into the world. And so to think about that, we're walking through the life of Jesus and asking the question, what does it look like for Jesus to lead us into life? Not just be an advisor to our life or a consultant, not just be some sort of ethereal presence that we think about off in the distance, but what does it mean for Jesus to walk alongside of us and to lead us into the kind of life that he has for us? And up until now, we've looked at things like he leads us into healing, which is a deep and real truth. He leads us into forgiveness, where he wants us to know that we are his child and he has removed all sin and shame and guilt from us and that we can lean into that forgiveness. That he leads us into all things in our life. That he wants to walk with us every single day that we live. And this week we're going to look at the final part for this series before we move into Lent. Which is that Jesus wants to lead us into fruitfulness. That Jesus wants to lead us into a life where we bear fruit. And to consider this idea, we're going to look at the parable that Stephen read earlier. Which is called the parable of the sower. Which talks to us about the condition of people's hearts when God's word goes out into our lives and how we carry that out into the world. And as a subtext to this whole parable, that is, what's the underlying main point to this parable, is the desire that Jesus shows that he would lead us all, all of us that know him, all of us that are called his children, that he would lead us all into a life of fruitfulness, that his goal for our lives is that we would be forgiven and that we would be healed and that we would walk into a new life together with him. And as part of that process, we would lead lives that bear fruit. This is his goal for our lives. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, but really saying this to all of us. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Now, coincidentally, or perhaps intentionally, depending on how smart you think we are, we preach the sermon every Sunday with this painting. I don't know if you noticed that. One of the elements going on in this painting are what he read in the parable, bearing fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And so here we have the blood of the new covenant. This is the very life of Christ being poured out into the world. And as it's poured out into the world, the world receives Jesus Christ, and they grow up to bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Selah. Let he who has ears, let them hear. <laughs> Jesus brings us all into life. He brings us from death into life so that we can live and so that we can bear fruit. And uh, so that's what Jesus is leading us into. And before we look at this passage in more detail, I want to point out something that can happen to many of us just to sort of note this before we look at what the words of Jesus are, because it's happened to me before as well, is that is when we read this passage, there can sometimes be a disconnect, because we see statements like, even see the paintings, like th statements like 30, 60, 100-fold, that God wants us to bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold, and we may think, or at least I have thought, yes, of course, I would love to see 30, 60, 100 people in my life come to faith in Jesus Christ. Or, of course, figuratively speaking, I would love to just look out and remember and know the impact that I am personally having on society or culture or my family or those around me that figuratively represents 30, 60, 
a hundredfold. I would love to see abundant fruit in my life. But to be quite honest, if I'm honest with you, I spend most of my time and energy just thinking about how am I going to pay rent or pay my mortgage? Or how am I going to make friends in Denver and develop a community? Or how am I just going to have a faith that lasts my whole life and have my faith survive? Or I'm honestly just trying to figure out how to raise my kids in a culture that wants to twist the very reality of the ground that they walk on. Bearing fruit would be great. (laughs) I would love to bear fruit, but really, I'm just trying to live. I'm just trying to survive. Or maybe you're someone who has given yourself over to the Lord more intentionally for a specific season, like a sprint. And so maybe for three months or six months or nine months or a year, you feel like you've given yourself over to the Lord. You've prayed more. You've read the Bible more. You've served more. And then when you look back on those 30, 60, 90 days or three months, there's not a lot of fruit that you can point to specifically. And there can be a disconnect or dissonance that comes up in your own heart and your own soul. This has happened to me as well. Maybe you're here and it's just not something you think about at all. (laughs) That you come to Jesus just wanting to be saved and that's it. All of us come to this parable from different places. What we see here is that the goal of Jesus in our lives is to lead us into a life that bears fruit, that bears fruit abundantly. This idea of 30, 60, 90 fold, it represents this idea that one grain seed is supposed to produce 27 grain heads or something like that. And so Jesus, speaking to an agrarian crowd, they would understand that, wow, 60 is double that, 100, wow, that's triple a normal yield. This is the kind of life that Jesus wants to lead us into. Whatever your experience, this parable serves as a reminder to us that God is constantly sowing his word into our lives. And as it says in Isaiah 55, God's word accomplishes what he intends has not returned to him void, but achieves the purpose for which he sent it out. He's constantly inviting us to follow the leadership of Jesus Christ in our lives. He's constantly sowing his seed into our lives and into our hearts so that we would bear fruit. And so as we look at this parable today, it's going to have us consider what is the state of our own hearts as we receive this word of God that's being sown constantly into our lives. But before we open up here to Mark 4, let me just say a quick prayer for us, and then we'll look at the text. Lord, as you say at the end of this passage, let them who have ears, let them hear. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears that hear, minds that understand, eyes that perceive, hearts that absorb your word. That we would absorb your love, your guidance, your purpose, your vision for our lives. Speak to us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Take this parable planted in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives, we do pray. We turn to you now in your great and holy name. Amen. Amen. So again, we're here in Mark chapter 4. There's red Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you want to open there, you can get on your cell phones or whatever. Mark 4, we're just going to walk through this parable. And uh, it's the parable of the sower famously titled, and it starts here in verse 3. It says, listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed... And then it goes on to talk about how the sower went out, and oftentimes a practice in this time would be someone would go out with a big bag of seeds, and they'd walk, and they just would sort of sow seeds on the ground. And so it wasn't a super uh, precise way to sow seeds. It was a broad-spectrum application of the seeds. And as the seeds were sown, they would fall on four different kinds of soils. And we're just going to run through those as quickly as I can. (laughs) So the first soil is this. The first soil is the path. It's the hard pan. 
It's the soil that's trampled down so that it's very hard and the seed can't even get into the soil. And it says, as soon as the seed fell on this hard pan path, because it didn't go down into the ground, it was exposed and a bird came and snatched it away. And later Jesus interprets this as, this is the soil of a hard heart. And because the heart is hard, the word of God does not penetrate into it. And because it's sitting there on the surface, Satan comes and takes away the seed that is sown there on the trampled path. Satan comes and takes it away. So the first soil is the soil of a hard heart. And that soil often comes from the confluence of many things, both external and internal. Our own experiences, our own desires mixed with things that have happened to us or things that we've seen or witnessed. And so that can create a hard soil of our hearts. And so, for instance, one of the examples of something that helps to create a hard heart is if we look at the prevailing narratives of this culture, one of the prevailing strongest narratives, for instance, is that my experience, my truth, what I desire defines my reality. That my reality is the only reality that matters. And this is reinforced by narratives and stories and movies and conversations. And that creates, what that does is it creates a heart that is hard to receive a story that's different. And the story is different being the story that comes from God, the word that comes from God, which is that I created all reality, that I transcend all of reality, I transcend all human experience, that I'm above all, through all, in all, before all, and after all. And I've come into your life and into the world, and the word of God is that I invite you into a life that moves beyond your own experienced reality and steps into an eternal reality. And you step into that by receiving the forgiveness that Jesus offers and embracing his way of life. Now, if a heart is conditioned by the prevailing narrative of the culture and your own experiences to say, my reality is the only reality that matters, then that word of Jesus will just sort of rest on the surface. It will not penetrate. This is the hard soil. It's a heart that is impermeable. It's already given over to something else. And so the word of God is an offense to this heart. It is not tracked together and it stays on the surface and is taken away. That's the first soil. Second soil is this. It's the shallow soil, the rocky soil, Jesus calls it. And so this is a soil where the sower sows seeds and it immediately germinates and sort of bursts up and looks like it's going to grow. But then because it has no root, when the sun comes out, it scorches it and it loses its life. And later Jesus interprets the second soil. It says, this soil represents the ones that when they hear the word, immediately they receive it in joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, many commentators would call this the soil of the emotions and passions only. Now, I want to be careful to say that emotions and passions are not wrong. God does want us to engage him with our emotions and passions. Those are all through the scriptures in the book of Psalm. As we worship, God draws us in, and one of the faculties he gives us to relate with him is our emotions and our passions. Don't get me wrong. But this is the soil of the emotions and passions only by itself. And so this is hearing the God of word, that, the word of God that sounds appealing. Things like, you can have eternal peace. You say, oh, that sounds pretty good. Or you can have the removal of all shame, both the shame that you deserve or you think you deserve because of things you did and the shame of things done to you. You can have that removed and you say, yeah, that sounds, that sounds really great too. 
Or you can have the healing and forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. You say, oh, that sounds really great too. All these are really good things, and all these are true in the word. And what happens is it creates this initial motive response where there's this great joy and excitement, and it sort of bursts up into a life that looks like an abundant faith. But since it's received in emotion and passion only, again, emotion and passion are good, but since it's received in emotion or passions only, because our emotions change and our hearts change and our circumstances change, then the effectiveness of the word only lasts as long as that emotional state. And so when tribulation and challenges come, that word withers away. Now, one of the more extreme examples of this is something I read in an article recently about people who grew up in the church and then later left their faith. And as they were interviewing one of the women, she said that when she worshiped, she felt all these great feelings, these sort of emotions and, and this feeling of joy. But then when she went to concerts and to the club, she sort of realized that she felt the same feelings only without all the rules. And so eventually she wanted to feel the same feelings without the rules, and then that led her to walk away from faith. If only I would love to just speak with her and talk to her more about that. But this is just receiving the word with emotions and passions only. Now, more broadly, we can set ourselves up for this as well in our own hearts when we see God as a means to achieve our ends. When we approach God with our own agendas and we go to Jesus with uh, a perspective of the fact that he is a problem solver, he's the one to ease our pain and suffering, and we're interested with him uh, solving our problems and easing our pain, but we're not so interested with the whole king part. We're not so interested with the whole repentance part or the saving part. That our approach to Jesus is more of like a service provider, a life improver, than one who leads us into a life of fruitfulness, both in ways that we love and ways that seem harder to us. And then when the immediate solution doesn't come, or the challenges associated with God's word begins, then our allegiance to that kind of faith withers away. This is the faith that's planted in a shallow and rocky soil. Second soil. Third soil. The fourth soil will be really fast. Third soil. This is where the seeds are thrown on pretty good soil, but when they sprout up and take root, they're surrounded by weeds and thorns. And while the plants continue to sustain life, and so the, the seeds that were planted, they grow up and they're actually alive, their potential and their fruitfulness is throttled and it's choked out. And so one way for us to think about this is that this is like a divided soil. That the nutrients in the soil that are present go both to sustaining the plant that was planted for purposes and the weeds that are around it. And so when we think about faith, this is a faith that is committed to God, that does believe the right things about Jesus Christ, that does offer their lives to God, but also has a heart that is divided towards other things. They're living both for Jesus and for the things of the world, the offers of the world. And later in this passage, Jesus calls these offers, and I quote, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke out the word. And what he means by this is that it doesn't choke out the word to lead to death, but it chokes out the word to reduce its fruitfulness, that it doesn't bear 30, 60, 100 fold that it just sort of survives and coasts along. And as a result, the fullness of life that God calls them into is choked out and constrained and limited. And so for those of us who have been in faith for a long time, we can find ourselves to have this kind of soil 
all the time. We can look at our own lives and, and we might observe that while we do have faith in Jesus Christ and, and we are committed to church and we are committed to walking with Jesus Christ, if we observe our lives, we would say, well, this doesn't seem like there's really lasting peace. My life is defined more by anxiety and stress than peace, which is what God says he offers. Or we don't find ourselves growing in forgiving others or serving others more than we were. Or we don't often find ourselves exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Or people around us, if we really considered, aren't really affected in a positive way by our presence. We see our lives from one year to the next and not too much changes in terms of the conditions of our heart. And Jesus here is pointing to this and saying that's because the soils of our hearts can often be divided. That the nutrients that God gives us are going in multiple directions. One's meant to bear fruit are sent in disparate directions. And what that leaves us with is an anemic, choked out faith. Not a faith that bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. So that's the soil with the weeds. Last soil. The right kind of soil. When the seed falls on this deep, good soil without weeds, Jesus says, it grows up increasingly yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then verse 9, he says, he who has ears, let them hear. God's design for our lives is that we live, that we live to the full, and that we bear fruit. Selah. Now, this brings us back to the beginning, the question that we were asking at the beginning of this message. What does fruitfulness look like in our lives? What does it look like for us to follow the lead of Jesus into fruitfulness for our own lives? I want to quickly note for you two things, for us two things. Now, for many of us, when we think about fruitfulness, that God wants to bear fruit, especially when you see numbers like 30, 60, 100 fold, our mind might immediately go to external things. And so we might think about seeing people come to faith or seeing someone's life change, or seeing a huge impact that happens through a nonprofit or a ministry or a church. And by the way, those are all really good things. But when you think about bearing fruit, our minds, at least my mind, often goes to one of those places. But if you take a scan through the scriptures and you look at what the Bible talks about fruit as being, what does fruit actually look like, you will find some external fruit, but most of the fruit you see the Bible talk about is the fruit that happens inside of us. And it's out of the fruit that happens inside of us that God often brings about the fruit that is external. Now, one of the things that we can accidentally fall into in our faith, and, and it can depend on your church culture and sort of the background that you grew up in, is that you think about fruitfulness solely in the external, almost accidentally ex ignoring the internal fruit. And while the Bible does talk about the fruit that God does produce outside of us, it focuses more, at least on a quantity basis, on the fruit that happens inside of us. And so just to give us a very quick survey, I want to sow some seeds, as it were, about some of the fruit that we see in the scriptures. So what does it look like for God to bear fruit in our lives 30, 60, 100 fold? Well, one of the things Romans 6.21 tells us that the sins that we formerly loved will become loathsome to us. Those things that we used to love and get life from, not only do we have to sort of fight the temptation not to do them, but they actually turn from a temptation to something that we don't even want at all. We, they, we loathe those sins. 
We loathe greed. Like if we live only for money and then we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we begin to loathe the effect of greed on our lives. This is a fruit of God working inside of us. Now the fruit is that we love other people with the love of Christ. That we put on the very lenses of Jesus Christ to look at the world around us. Now, uh, I got to go skiing recently. It was my last hurrah before the baby comes, and it was a really good time, and there was really good snow. And something that happens when there's really good snow and you're in a ski line is the anxiety comes up. You'd think people would be totally stoked, like, bro, this is sick snow. It's like, no, don't steal my lines. And therefore, if you step in line in front of somebody else, they might get mad at you. And so there were some words exchanged by different people on the lift line. Now... If you are growing in the fruit of Christ, somebody says something mean to you or bad to you, this may or may not be autobiographical, (laughs) your heart can go to one of two places. One is, let me retaliate and say something mean back. The other is, if the Lord is truly working in your heart and your soul, you say, wow, this person is really finding all of their happiness in this. Let me pray for them. So that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I may or may not still be working on that one. Fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that God produces in us, is that we more easily forgive. Now, forgiveness, especially for those things that are done to us, that are hard and that affect our lives, it's always going to be hard. But relative to ourselves, we more easily forgive because we embrace the nature of God who lovingly and generously forgives us above all things. Galatians 6 tells us that when we are given the opportunity to do good, we seek to do good for everyone around us. This is the fruit that God does within us. That we exercise our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. That we share the good news of God's invitation to a deeper, fuller life with others, even when it might feel socially costly to us. That our life is marked by a deep sense of thanksgiving and gratefulness for God's love. That as times are quiet and we have times to reflect on God, this sense that God has lavishly given us all things in his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we don't just know that in our minds, but that pervades our souls. This is a fruit of God working within us. That we seek to do all things for his glory that we confess our sins to God, that we take sin seriously and we confess it and we turn away from those sins time and time again, that we strive to know God and to do things which please him, knowing that we can bear no fruit apart from him. And there's so much more. But I hope you noticed that most of that is internal, what God does inside of us. And through that, God bears fruit outside of us. That God bears fruit 30, 60, 100-fold in any station in our life, in any circumstance. This is the life that God leads us into, one of bearing fruit. So that's the first observation. Second quick observation I'll notice with you, and we'll just end with this. Bearing fruit, being fruitful in this parable, at least, doesn't come from being the most gifted person. It doesn't come from having the best strategy or casting the biggest vision. It doesn't come from these external things that we think about. Bearing fruit, being a fruitful person, comes from having the most fertile soil. It comes from having the soil of our hearts being nourished, being receptive, being undivided, being soft to the word of God, planting in our lives, to the leading of God. 
This is for all of us to live and to be fruitful. This is the life that God has called us into. Now, many of you know on Wednesday, we, we, have, we will have Ash Wednesday, and then next Sunday we'll begin a season of Lent. And I want to suggest sort of a guiding image for you as we walk through the season of Lent. The third soil was the soil filled with weeds. And the fourth soil was a soil that was fertile and ready to go, no weeds choking everything out. The season of Lent is a way for us as a church, as a body, both as individuals and as people, to walk into this idea of weeding out those weeds that choke out the fruit of God in our own lives. And I just want to leave this last conclusion from a sermon by St. Augustine, way back when, when he talked about this parable, as something for us to consider as we enter into this next season for our own lives. God wants to lead us into a life that bears fruit. What can we do in response? St. Augustine said this, Work diligently in the soil while you may. Break up the fallow with the plow, cast away the stones from your field, and dig out the thorns. Be unwilling to have a hard heart, such as makes the word of God of no effect. Be unwilling to have a thin layer of soil in which the root of divine love can find no depth in which to enter. Be unwilling to choke out the good seed by the cares and lusts of this life when it is being scattered for your good. When God is the sower and we are the ground, we are called to work to be good ground. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, first of all, that you are always sowing your word into our lives, that you love us and you desire to walk together with us. We pray that your spirit would show us the nature of our hearts right now that you would guide us into a life where our hearts are ready to receive your word, that we're ready to trust you, even if we don't understand where you're leading us, that we're ready to know you, Lord. Bless us, Lord, as we turn to you. We pray all of these in your great and holy name. Amen.